want to mention uh, before we pray here and get started a recommendation for a book. One of the important subjects that uh, I think we will probably not have a whole lesson on at this time has to do with our family's use of technology, which we all uh, deal with on a daily basis. Pastor Rob Hadding recommended a book, and I got a hold of it. Actually, I've been listening to it on audio. It's called The Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. I'll send out an email on this so you'll have the, the info, but I found it to be extremely helpful. He is not an anti-tech person. He's in favor of technology. Let me just read the blurb on it because I highly recommend it because, I, again, I think it's a, a subject that if we don't think about it, it is where we get in trouble with our families. It says, making conscientious choices about technology in our families is more than just using internet filters and determining screen time limits for our children. It's about developing wisdom, character, and courage in the way we use digital media rather than accepting technology's promise, promises of ease, instant gratification, and the world's knowledge at our fingertips. And it's definitely not just about the kids. Drawing uh, on in-depth original research from Barna Group, Andy Crouch shows readers uh, that the choices we make about technology have consequences we may never have considered. He takes readers beyond the typical questions of what, where, and when, and instead challenges them to answer provocative questions like, who do we want to be as a family? And how does our use of a particular technology move us closer or farther away from that goal? Anyone who has felt their family relationships suffer or their time slip away amid technology's distractions will find in this book a path forward to reclaiming their real life in a world of devices. So again, highly recommend this. It's a, a quick read, but very helpful and very practical and I think what I like about it, again, is very realistic. He's not saying, you know, go throw away your iPhones or that kind of thing. He says these are great blessings when they're used properly. But again, thinking through it is very helpful and powerful. Well, let's, let's pray and get started here. Father, we thank you for a new day, for a new week, for your people, for our families, for your word, for your spirit. And we pray now that you would bless us as we continue to think about our children and our roles as parents, and how we can glorify you and our families. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Much of what follows in today's lesson comes from Paul David Tripp's book titled Age of Opportunity, and I would commend that book to you as well. Um, and we're going to, what I'm finding, as is often the case with many subjects, but this subject in particular, uh, as I sit down to work on it, it grows. Uh, I realize there's much more that we need to think about and say. Um, so this is part two on teenagers. Uh, raising children is your job, parents, and therefore, as we continue to talk about uh, teenagers, I want to start this morning with you. How much time and effort have you spent planning uh, this part of your life. Let me, today I'm going to be reading some sections or excerpts from Tripp's book, 
he pointed out that many parents are more organized, more intentional, better researched, and more goal-oriented when planning their vacations than they are in raising their children. Imagine how a vacation would go if I sort of understood what a vacation was supposed to be, but I really wasn't completely sure. Imagine how it would go if I sort of knew where I wanted to go with my family on vacation, but I wasn't really committed to one destination. What if I had a bit of a sense of direction, but had taken no time to really study the maps? What if I knew that vacations tended to be costly, but I hadn't really prepared financially? What, if possibi- what possibility would there be that my family would, in fact, have any vacation, let alone a successful one? So, so it is with family life. It is vital that we be biblically informed, biblically prepared, and biblically intentional. In other words, it takes hard work, it takes thought, it takes effort. This is the most important thing you have to do on earth, and yet it is often uh, just done on the fly. We kind of assume that we'll just figure out what to do as we go along. Remember, there, are, there is always the fundamental problem that both, we, that both we and our children have, which is that we really don't want God telling us what to do. Uh, We are tempted, therefore, to have idols, false gods who we think will give us what we want. And so, parents, we should start with ourselves, being honest about our own idols. It's easy for us to see the problems of teens and not see our own problems. Your children are not the only sinners in the system. One of the biggest problems at your house is that your children act like you. And so let's start with what's ruling our hearts. What controls your heart will control your life. And so what are some of the common idols that parents have? And I want to mention a few. Again, these from Trip. Uh, first, the idol of comfort. We all want to be served. Like our children, we think our needs come first. We only do what we want to do when we want to do it. But life isn't a resort. It is a war. Tripp says that he said to his children many times as they were leaving the house, there's a war out there. It's being fought over the turf of your heart. It's being fought for the control of your soul. And so if you're mostly concerned, parents, about your own comfort, your own peace, your own space, your own quiet, your own harmony, then you are going to be ill-equipped for this war. Your teenager will become your enemy. You'll you'll begin to fight with him or her rather than for him or her. You will fight with him or her. They will become your enemy instead of fighting for him or her. 
you'll soon forget the true nature of the battle and who the real enemy is. And one or both of you will lose. We have to stay focused on where the real enemy is. So, idol number one, the idol of comfort. Got to go. Second, the idol of respect. Now, I've already said that one of the, the that respect is the fundamental thing that all children need to learn. It's the one thing that God requires of them to honor and obey their parents, to show respect for their parents. That's true, but it is possible for parents to turn this into an idol for themselves and say things like. I'm going to get him or her to respect me if it's the last thing I do. And so this show of respect uh, is, is simply becomes the need for the show and not the heart. All of your teen's development, insecurity, and awkwardness, then when, when this happens, becomes a personal affront to you. Because again, you think it's all about you. Everything they're doing is about you. And the Bible says that before children's hearts are turned to their fathers and mothers, that the hearts of fathers and mothers must be turned toward their children. Remember, they're acting like you. They're modeling you. And they don't, it doesn't have to be the kind of lesson that involves a, a marker board and three points. You're giving that lesson in how you function and how you act. And so showing respect is the most fundamental thing you do in teaching respect and in gaining respect. So the idol of respect is one that's dangerous. The third is the idol of appreciation. It is a gross understatement to say that parents do a lot for their children. Much of life is like this. Uh, and, and as a result, ha, ha, there's so many things in life that turn out to be harder than we thought, and had we known how hard they would be, perhaps we wouldn't have had children, because it's excruciatingly hard. Tripp wrote this, we've been there when the calls have come from school, we've been there in the wee hours of the morning when the nightmares have hit, we have changed the bed that had been wet once again. We've gone out in pajamas and slippers to the all-night drugstore for medicine. We've made the special skateboard-shaped birthday cakes. We've cleaned up vomit from the bedroom carpet. We've sat in on meetings with the principal. We've spent hours making the papier-mâché volcano. Uh, we've provided transportation to thousands of events. We've sat through scores of painful recitals, spent thousands on memorable vacations. We've walked miles and miles in the aisles of the supermarket so mouths would be fed and stomachs filled. We've trudged hours through malls looking for cool clothes. We've watched, uh, we've washed enough clothes um, to fill the Grand Canyon. We've given up our dreams uh, to pay for musical instruments and braces. Isn't it about time 
we get some credit. So fantasize with me for a moment. Your teenager bursts in the door at the end of the day and says, do you know what I was thinking about on the way home today? Uh, Mom, I was thinking about how much you and Dad have done for me over the years. You've been with me and for me from the very first moment of my life until now. I was flooded with gratitude, and I just couldn't wait to get home to say thank you. Now, Tripp says, if this happens to you, erect stones as an everlasting memorial. (laughs) Or light an eternal flame. Or as my mother used to say, if that ever happened, I'd faint and fall on my face. Parents, you are serving God. That's who you're serving. He is your audience. He is paying attention to what you're doing. If you're waiting for appreciation, you're probably going to be waiting for a little while. And then there is the idol of success. Having children involves disappointment and sometimes embarrassment. Remember, they act like you. For some parents, the sins and failures of their children are not primarily about the love and concern that they have for their children, but way more about their own humiliation in front of others. Our pride gets in the way. We're more concerned with what others think about us than we are concerned about what's good for our children. Uh, we're, um, have you ever seen the old guy uh, somewhere with a trophy wife? It's not a pretty sight, is it? Well, unfortunately, there are many parents who have trophy children. And that's what's the most important thing to them, is to show off their smart, cute, attractive, well-behaved children. And when those smart, cute, well-behaved children don't behave well, what they're most upset about is that you have messed with their trophy. You've marred the trophy. Children are not trophies. They're made in the image of God, and they need your help uh, becoming what God's called them to be. And in that process, they are going to fail and fall and stumble and embarrass you. So that idol needs to be set aside, too, idol of success. The last idol to mention is the idol of control. The goal of parenting is to work ourselves out of a job, to lose control. We should start by governing our children. They they need lots of governing when they get here. They can't do anything. And so um, our goal is ultimately, though, to teach them to govern themselves under God. They start out totally dependent on us, and we seek to see them independent of us and dependent upon God and the Christian community. Tripp reminds us, in the early years of parenting, we were in control of everything, and although we complained about all the stress of it, 
We liked having this power. There is little that an infant chooses to do other than spontaneous body, bodily functions. Um, we choose their food, times of uh, rest, manner of physical exercise, what they saw and heard, what they, where they went, who their friends were, and the list could go on and on. However, the truth is that from day one, our children are growing independent. The baby who once was unable to roll over without assistance now can crawl into the bathroom without our permission and unravel the entire roll of toilet paper. This same child will soon be driving away from the house to places well out of parental reach. Our goal is to be used by God to instill in our children maturity maturity through the principles of God's Word and to allow them to exercise more and more choices, control, and independence. Your goal should be to let go. Our temptation is to tighten the grip. So those are some of the idols, parents, that you need to be aware of. And if there are issues in your life, think about that. Again, part of this process is making sure not only that they're maturing and growing, but that you are maturing and growing. That you are becoming wiser, that you understand what's going on and what to do about it. And so a couple of weeks ago, I asked how many of you would like to go back to your teen years, and I don't recall having any takers. These are the drama years. Now, some adults continue those drama years, uh, but everything is a big deal. Tripp asks this, do you remember what it was like to be a teenager? Do you remember your self-consciousness, your physical self-awareness, and your general confusion? Do you remember feeling great about yourself one day and wanting to die the next day? I see a lot of smiles. Okay. Um, do you remember trying to be cool only to make a complete fool of yourself? That reminds me of a story. Uh, my son worked at Chick-fil-A, and he had a friend there, and he was trying to be cool one day talking to a girl, teenage boy, and he, it was one of those five-gallon buckets standing there, and he put his foot up on it, uh, and the lid flipped, and his whole foot went into the whole bucket of pickles um, in front of the girl. So that's kind of a, a good illustration of how that works. Um, do you remember doing immature, anybody, and irresponsible things just at the time you were trying to win your parents' respect? Effective parents of teenagers are people who are able to remember what it was like to live in the scary world of the teen years. So let's start by remembering that. A little empathy, a little sympathy, a little pity. The Bible addresses youth and has several examples of young people, such as Joseph or David, Daniel, and quite a few others. 
Moreover, the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes describes young people and some of their tendencies. The New Testament also speaks to younger men and women as constituent groups. It is critical to remember that the teenage years are the same time in which wisdom may be gained or forfeited. I really want to jump up and down on that point. The teen years are maybe some of the most critical times in which the trajectory of their lives is being established. I I often look at teenagers' trajectory, and I think with... uh, pretty often able to predict how their story ends. And so sometimes I'll comment, this is not going to end well. Or, she's going to be okay. That was a tough lesson, but she's listening and learning. She's going to be okay. You can see the trajectory. They can't see it. Others can but you see, wisdom and folly are going in different directions. They both lead somewhere. And this is a critical time. The book of Proverbs essentially provides a compare, a compare and contrast of the wise man and the fool, and it does so by using a dialogue between a father and a son. I highly recommend, if you haven't done this, that'd be a, it's a great... Uh, home Bible study with your teens is to work through the book of Proverbs. Get a notebook out and go at whatever pace you're comfortable going and just keep two lists. The wise man and the fool. What does it say? There's a comparison. and goes back and forth through the book of Proverbs. It deals with all kinds of issues, money and relationships and men and women and work. And, and all those things are there to tell you Okay, here's, here's how a, a wise man responds or uh, makes decisions. or these are, the, these are the kinds of people he hangs out with. This is what happens when he fails. This is how he responds. And then here's the fool. And here are the kinds of friends he has and, and how he responds when he fails. And the question that ought to be being asked as you do that for everybody, but again helping your teen, is to say, which one are you? Where do you see yourself in this story, in this comparison? And so the stereotype of teenagers is that they think they know it all, and they also think their parents don't understand. So I'd like you to fantasize with me once again. Your teenager walks into the family room and says, You know, Dad, I was just thinking about how wise you are and what a good thing it is that God put you into my life so that I could gain wisdom too. I just thought I'd come in and talk with you for a while and soak up some of that wisdom that you and I both know I desperately need. Of course, it doesn't happen that way. Teens don't tend to beg for wisdom, yet we can give it to them and let uh, we can't give in to them and let them set the agenda for our relationship with them. Ask yourself, do I respond to my teenager in ways that make wisdom appealing? Do I make the taste for correction sweet? Anybody can crush. 
Anybody can yell and shout and stomp and spit and fume. But if you're going to be wise, what is your goal? Your goal is to impart wisdom, not just correct, not just corral, not just control. There is a time and a place for those things. But the bigger picture, the more important thing is that you lead. You lead by example. You lead with your wisdom. You show respect. You communicate. You instruct. You train. You help them learn from their mistakes, not just tell them they were wrong or stupid or uh, crazy. Or How about you help them think through what went wrong? Wisdom is the ability, of course, to see further down the road because you've already traveled ahead of them. You can see further and wider because you've been there. They haven't. And you're helping them see what they can't see by themselves. And so, teens need to be taught to think in terms of long-term investment. This isn't typical of how they think about their lives. They tend to live in the moment and to put off their responsibilities until the last minute. They need to see that every decision, every choice, every action is an investment. The Bible says that we are to not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that's why, by the way, uh, frequently your children, all of them, any age, should face the consequences of their procrastination or their actions. Don't bail them out. Let them feel the pain. Pain is given to us by God to teach us to stop doing what we're doing and to start doing it differently. And if we take away all the pain, now there's a place for mercy and grace and kindness, but make sure those are the exceptions and not the pattern. The pattern ought to be, you put it off, you waited, I I reminded you three times about that project at school, and you put it off, and you put it off, and now it's payday. Do your children, this is changing, going back here in regard to wisdom, imparting wisdom, do your children know your story? Including some of your failures. What life lessons have you learned? the hard way. Remember, household communion includes the relationship between you and your teenager. Again, Tripp writes, pursue your teenager. Daily express your love. Don't ask questions that can be answered with a yes or a no. That's a really important tip. Don't ask questions that can be answered with a yes or a no. Ask questions that require Descriptions, explanation, and self-disclosure. Don't just relate to them during times of correction. Don't only catch them doing something wrong. Catch them doing something right and encourage them. Pray daily with them, even if it makes them uncomfortable. Always find them in the house and say a warm good night to them before they go to bed. Because this has been our habit for years, our teens seek us out to say goodnight to us. Enter the world of your teenager and stay there. Don't ever let them view you as being outside their functional world. 
Teenagers will reject grenades of wisdom and correction lobbed from afar by someone who has not been on site for quite a while. Now, I think parents and teenagers tend to be legalists for different, in different ways, mainly because it's human nature to be legalist. Um, parents like rules. Uh, teens like to find ways of keeping the letter of the law while doing an end run around the spirit of the law. But wisdom requires much more. Remember, wisdom, and by the way, that book I mentioned on, on technology deals with this, the two basic things we're trying to give our children is wisdom and courage. And so uh, wisdom requires much more. It even requires conversations with our teenagers. Well-behaved rule followers, by the way, are not the same thing as true lovers and followers of Jesus Christ. Got that? You can have really well-behaved kids, but if they don't have a heart for Christ, then you've missed the point. It is impossible not to be influenced by friends. And so they, uh, excuse me, I've gotten, I got ahead on my notes. Let me come back to that. Let me back up on legalism. The heart issues behind the rules are the most important for parents and teens. And I underline that, so I'm going to say it again. The heart issues behind the rules are the most important for parents and teens. A list of do's and don'ts is much easier in the short run for parents. Do as I say. But wisdom requires much more work. It even requires, I said, even requires conversations. Our righteousness, though, is in Christ, not in ourselves. So we don't want to teach them if you do all the, if you do all these ten things, then you're a good person and that's, that's sufficient. Again, it's got to go to the heart. Two areas of special importance where teens need wise counsel and the Proverbs have much to say about both of them. First, the choice of friends. Teens can be both naive and unwise in their choice of friends. It is impossible not to be influenced by friends. I remember a particular story. I'm not going to go into the details uh, publicly, but I had a friend that uh, was a friend. There wasn't anything beyond that. I think I was in about the seventh or eighth grade. And my father knew something I didn't know about that friend. And he sat down and had a conversation with me. He was very wise in the way he did it. But he just said, I want to caution you here. And I remember protesting greatly about this, that he just didn't understand this was a good person. And I was completely, he was completely missing the, the, the matter and had been ill-informed by somebody else. And he very gently continued to say, well, just remember, I've given you this warning, and I need you to be extra careful. And within about two months, the situation became evident that this friend was not what I thought this friend was. And indeed, it was great wisdom for me to put distance between me and this other person. Again, I could fill in the details some other time, but I was looking back on that now, and in fact, it didn't take very long after that to realize, hey, my dad's not as dumb as I thought he was, and uh, he does love me, and he is looking after my best interest. 
Um, so, second is sexual temptation. Outside your home in the Christian community, your children and teenagers will not get any kind, I want you to hear this, outside, let me say it again, outside your home in the Christian community, your children, your teenagers will not get any kind of accurate perception, uh, perspective on sexuality. Our current age is especially misguided. Lust, fantasy, and desire along with physical awakening are now part of their world. Face it. It's happening. It's real. And if you don't face it and you don't have those conversations, I promise you somebody else will. Parents can't afford to respond to it with embarrassment or ambivalence. This is not a talk we have once. Uh, because fleeing the temptation is not a skill that is mastered with an introductory talk. This is a process that should begin in the preteen years and continue until our children are married. Now, regulating behavior. Regulating your teen's behavior is not your most basic goal. It is only a short-term victory to control the behavior of a teen whose heart is not submissive to God. Anybody have a teen with an attitude? You better pay attention to that attitude. That is way more important than whether they took the trash out or not. They can take the trash out with an attitude. If you don't know what their heart attitude toward God is, and you should, then ask their teachers and listen to what they say. Don't make excuses. Don't say, well, that teacher, or they don't understand. No, listen. They're with them all day long. They know. Ask five teachers. If you start getting the same answer, that's the answer. That's the true one. Without a heart for God, the minute the minute they're out from under your control, they will begin to act in ways more consistent with the true thought of their hearts. Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Left to themselves, they won't do what's right, because the right that they did was forced upon them by parental control. This is seen over and over as teenagers go off to college and seem to throw off everything they supposedly learned in their Christian homes. Paul warns us against relying on external control only. In Colossians 2, 20-23, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If you don't have their hearts, 
If they don't have hearts for God, then all the external rules in the world will fail. They are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Tripp observes, the parent who has pastoral has a pastoral model of parenting will do more than hand down regulations and enforce punishments when the regulations are broken. Pastoring parents will befriend their teen. They will probe and examine. They will engage their child in provocative discussions. They will be unwilling to live with distance, avoidance, and non-answers. They will not let the teenager set the agenda for the relationship. In times of trouble, they will have discussions rather than cross-examinations. They will not be there simply to prove the child wrong and to announce punishment. They will seek to expose the true thoughts and motives of their teenager's heart by asking heart-disclosing questions. What were you thinking and feeling at the time? Why was that so important to you? What were you seeking to accomplish when you did that? What was the most important thing to you at that moment? Uh, What was it that you were afraid of in that situation? What was it that you were trying to get? Why did you become so angry? If you could go back and do something differently, what would change? They will help their teenager to look at himself in the accurate mirror, mirror of the word, which is able to expose and judge the heart, and they will do all of this in a spirit of humble, gentle, kind, forgiving, forbearing, patient love. In so doing, they will incarnate the love of Christ, who is the great shepherd of their teenager's soul. Now, you must be far more than than a legal, a legislator, a governor, a policeman, a judge, and a jailer. You represent their loving Heavenly Father who seeks their good and their hearts. Again, Tripp says, attempts to control, although appearing to be right, actually get in the way of what the Lord is seeking to do in your teen's life. Ezekiel states that God's agenda is very clearly to, quote, recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. God says, this is what I'm working on to recapture the hearts of my people so that they serve me and me alone. Can we have a lesser goal as we parent our teenagers? We must work to see the underlying idols of, of the heart that have shaped their behavior they will be exposed as the Spirit works through us to shine the light of Scripture on the teen's life. Now, um, I'm going to close today with just a few items to remember uh, here, and we're going to continue, Lord willing, next week on teenagers. There's more to come. Um, Some things to remember. Uh, The Bible... Worship, prayer, hospitality, and all other Christian duties must be a regular, consistent, and persistent part of your household. Now, let's take something like hospitality. If you don't have people in your home, if you're not having people around your table, if you're not providing opportunities for your kids of all ages to serve, 
to learn to be hospitable, to, to deny themselves for the sake of others, to have to stop what they're doing and clean the house and help with the preparation of the meal and to set the table and to do the dishes and to learn their manners. If you think hospitality is just something we do if we can squeeze it in, then you're missing an enormously powerful opportunity to teach your children how to live in this world. This is a little microcosm, a little place where you do have some control, where you are in charge. It's your house, and these are your kids and your guests, and you are going to set the table, both literally and in terms of all the things that are going to happen, and you're going to teach them. We're having so-and-so is coming over tonight, and I need you to do this and this, and when they're here, don't forget uh, to do such and such, and I want to be sure that you offer to do this, and we're going to have a good time, and then when they leave, we're going to all get together and get the dishes clean, get the house put back in order so that we're ready to go tomorrow, okay? There's all, I mean, endless, that's just one example of all those things I mentioned. Number two, you're raising adults, you're raising someone else's husband or wife, you are raising your grandchildren's parents. Don't be afraid to upset them. Tell them no. They will need you before you need them. You are the boss, and someday they will thank you. You're still training them to honor and obey you. Respect is paramount. Attitude matters, even toward their siblings. This is taught first and foremost by you showing respect to them and to others. So when you yell and you scream and you treat them as less than what they are, images of God. And when you lose control, you just taught them, this is what you do when you have enough power. Just as soon as you get the power, you can do what I'm doing. You can act like me. Now, right now, I've got the power, so shut up. But you said, whatever else you're saying is not being heard at that point. Because the way you're acting is overriding that. Now, this is an important principle. As you think through things, you own everything and they own nothing. You're still training them to honor and obey you. And uh, Anyway, I already said that, I'm sorry. Work is far more important than play. Jobs are more important than sports. Video games are more of a threat than many parents acknowledge. Give them real responsibilities that matter. They can do more than you think, even when they're very young. Two more. Teach them to care about things. That means pick up your stuff, fold your clothes, put them where they belong. Uh, so it's cleaning, it's putting things in order, taking care of the things you, you bought them. Uh, the bicycles laying out in the yard and not put up and all the toys are scattered and you know, all that stuff is sending this message. When you teach them to care about things, they start to learn to care about people too. To serve others. Teach them to deny themselves. Remember, maturity is the opposite of selfishness. And finally, who their friends are is under your control. Do not be deceived, the Bible says. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some 
do not have the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame, Paul writes. So, yes, you do have control over that. And those are some of the most powerful influences. What I don't want to hear you say is, well, I tried to teach them different, but the people they hung out with, it was their fault. It was, they, they're the ones that taught my kids these bad things. Well, you're in control of that too. So, a lot to think about here. Uh, so pray for yourselves, pray for your kids, and let's, let's pray together. Father, uh, we, ha- we do ask for your help. We uh, struggle. This is an enormous job that we have underestimated too often. Help us to take it seriously, but also, Lord, give us joy in the midst of this struggle. Help us to have some encouragement as we see good things in our kids and to delight in the gifts that they are, these little image bearers of God. Help us to love them and rejoice in them and with them and help them, Lord, as they struggle, particularly teenagers, as they're going through a different phase of life and learning to be adults. uh, Fill them with joy. Fill them with encouragement. Help them to love their parents and to appreciate the gifts they are and the homes that they have. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.